Welcome to BS with Bethany Simcoe. I am your host, Bethany Simcoe. This episode is going to be hard. It's going to be a little bit different, and I don't know how it's going to go. Today, we're going to be talking about what happened this week three years ago. So three years ago, I was admitted to a mental hospital. Now, there are events that happened before that that I have been very open about and talking about, but this is something that I have never spoken openly about. I've carried a lot of shame around this. It's been really scary to talk about. I think I've opened up in depth to very few people in my life. Talking about this is terrifying because there's such a stigma around it. I felt crazy. I felt like hopeless. I felt like people were scared of me and not for me in a way and didn't know what to do with me. And so it felt like I was pawned off somewhere until I was better. I wrote a bunch of stuff down. We'll kind of get into it. I don't know if it's going to be a happy episode. I'm going to give a trigger warning for everything right now. Suicide, abuse, sexual assault. I'm just going to kind of give that overhead. If you are in a delicate mental state at all right now, this may not be the best podcast for you to listen to. This is not a pity party. This is not like a cry for help. This is not anything of that sort. I want this to be just kind of a memoir, just kind of me telling my story, a bit of a story time, if you will. I hope that I can find a positive spin on it, but I think that's what's really tough about this is I haven't yet come to terms with it. I still carry a lot of hatred and a lot of anger about what happened. And honestly, if it feels like it gets too heavy, I might just scratch this episode and not release it and record something else because I don't want this to be something that weighs you down. I don't want this to be something that gets people in their head. If anything, I hope that you can relate to anything that I say. Obviously, I don't hope you can relate to it. Maybe there's some things that I say that you're like, okay, you know what? I've been feeling that way too. If anything, our feelings are valid. Our emotions are valid around this. I know that I've had a hard time kind of validating my own emotions around this. And this is part of my process. I've done a lot of thinking and a lot of journaling and a lot of therapy about this to kind of validate my feelings and understand what I'm going through. So maybe in sharing this, it can help you in your journey as well. Before we get into that, I do still want to keep things on somewhat of a positive note. So I'm going to do my three, three, one, which is the three things that I am grateful for, three things that I did well, and then one thing I'm working on. Three things that I am grateful for right now. I am grateful for the opportunity to talk about this and to talk about my experience and maybe some survivors. I am going to call it like a surviving situation. I very much felt in survival mode of other mental hospitals can kind of relate to this. Or maybe someone can have another situation that they relate to some of the thoughts I've had as well. But I'm just grateful that I'm able to talk about this and share this and know that I have a community that is supporting me through this. That's such a crazy but amazing feeling. I'm grateful now that I have a lot better of a relationship with my parents. A lot of this, you're gonna understand why that's such a big deal. My relationship with my parents was pretty broken after this. So the fact that I'm now 2,000 miles away, able to have some space from them, but still have a decently good relationship with them. That's such a big deal to me, and I want to always keep that relationship as healthy as I can. I'm grateful that I am testing some claw clips again recently. I've been doing that on my TikTok a little bit more. I saw like the Lululemon claw clip trending, so I made a little video. Did super well, and I can't believe how much you guys love claw clips as much as I do. It's so cool, like whip open my box of claw clips, get some out. I'm wearing one of the 20 girls ones right now. It is the Bethany pink one, the Bethany pink one, of course. But that's just been super fun to like reconnect with you guys on that and talk about my collection. 
Okay, can I say like a fourth thing that I'm grateful for? Because I am. I'm also grateful for my loungewear collection that's coming out because it's going to be a lot of symbolism towards the stuff that I'm gonna be talking about today. So maybe I should have saved this episode, but we're gonna get into it seeing as the anniversary is on March 17th. So I just kind of want to release this episode around that time. Three things that I am doing well right now. I think that I am getting a lot better at balance. I think I talked about that in like the first episode, but um, my long distance boyfriend came down. It's so weird to say my long distance boyfriend and also Utah boy, but you guys know what I'm talking about when I say Utah boy. So Utah boy came down over this last weekend. He was supposed to be here for a week. He ended up being here for only four days. Um, he got really sick and had to go home, but honestly it kind of turned out that those four days was perfect because our schedules are still balanced. I'm feeling good. I'm hopping right back into things. I feel like that balance this week has been really good. I feel like I've been good about expressing my emotions. I've been doing a lot of journaling this week a lot of talking to friends. I'm getting better becoming more emotionally vulnerable to people and that is always a win for me. The third thing that I feel like I'm doing well right now is keeping track of content. I feel like I'm always filming like so much content and I never know like where it's gonna go or when I'm gonna post it, but I'm doing better about filming it and getting it somewhere. A lot of times I'll film it, it'll stay on my phone for ages and it'll never get posted, but I'm doing better about filming what I mean to film and then posting it or taking pictures or whatever and then actually having those make it to social media. So. When on that, I think one thing I wanna work on is talking more positively. I think I look back sometimes on like footage or journal prompts or things like that. And I'll kind of talk down about certain things or I kind of like get down on myself or talk about things in a negative connotation or like in a negative way. And so I wanna make sure that I'm always kind of having that positive thought on the forefront of my mind and talking about things in a more positive manner. I think I was like looking at some footage of the cake video that I made when I was making the cake for like my one year in Texas. And like a lot of the footage was like me under my breath, just saying like how bad I was doing, how bad I was at it. And I was like, no, we gotta talk to ourselves better than that. So that's a challenge to myself this week. I'm just gonna hop right into it. I'm just kind of gonna go over what I wrote down. To be honest, I'm still mad about it. I still carry a lot of anger and hurt around the mental hospital. A little bit of background. So the beginning of 2020 was really, really rough for me. Even before like COVID was going on, I was just having a really rough time. There was a series of events in my life that made things really difficult for me. Um, and it was my senior year. I was so busy. There was so much going on. Just to kind of give you an idea, I was sexually assaulted um, in February and there was a lot of abuse going on at home and I was very overwhelmed and there was just kind of like a lot on my part. My heart was just feeling very heavy and I then attempted to take my own life in March of 2020. Again, this is a trigger warning for you. It is gonna get a little bit in depth. And I have my journal right here because I wrote three years ago today on March 15th. This journal entry kind of broke my heart. This is a few days after my attempt. Things are not better. I'm not allowed to sleep alone and my parents constantly worry. Understandably so, but they're making things so much worse. I'm supposed to write about how I feel, but I don't know how I feel. Numb heavy, sarcastic, done. I don't always feel like this though. I do have moments of happiness. I'm just having a hard time caring. I thought this was interesting, but I also wrote, in all honesty, I should probably be in an inpatient facility, but I refuse to go. It scares me, but I don't want to hurt those around me. Men are, they might have joy. Huh, this does not feel very joyful. I just thought that was really interesting because I kind of knew that I probably should be in an inpatient facility, or like a mental hospital because I was like, I am so overwhelmed right now. Everything just feels so shaky, but I was so scared to go. Cause I was like, I've been in so much pain. I just need to be 
at home in my own bed. I think that coming to peace with things like this is important. That's also a thought that I've kind of struggled with because I know that everything happens for a reason, but this is one of those things that I cannot come to terms with that it was supposed to happen to me. I feel like I can't let it be true in my mind that this was meant to happen, that I was meant to be subjected to that because my parents chose to do what they did. And I think that that thought really hurts me. Looking back at this event, and maybe if you've been through something that's really tough and someone made a choice that really hurt you, you might be able to resonate with this, but I really struggle between sympathy and compassion and anger. I get it. Their little girl was really struggling. I probably scared them a lot. They were probably terrified about what was gonna happen, what I was gonna do next. They didn't want me to get hurt again. They didn't want me to get hurt any further. So I get where they're coming from, especially as a parent. That's a terrifying thing. They don't know what the right thing is to do. I'm sure they were talking to therapists and doctors and praying about it. I'm sure this was a very hard decision for them. And they did what they thought was right. But on the other hand, there's so much anger there and there's so much hurt, almost disgust. Like how could you do this? The anger side screams out an injustice. Before this, we had had discussions about whether or not I should go. They came to me very seriously and they're like, hey, do you think you should go? And I was still seeing a therapist at the time and I was seeing her quite frequently. I was journaling a lot. I was doing the best that I could. And I was like, no, please do not send me there. I feel like I need to be home right now. I feel like I need to be in my own comfortable bed with my support system around me. I don't need to be in a cold plastic covered bed with cold nurses. Like everything about that just sounded disconnected and cold and scary. I was scared and in pain. I felt like I needed a soft place to land. And the last thing I needed was to be ripped away from everything that I knew and sent into a place that I just felt was going to be detrimental to me. Like that just scared me so badly. I was like, please, I'm hurting. I'm not a criminal. I'm not mean, big or scary. I'm not gonna like hurt anyone. I'm just hurting myself. Well, you know, <laughs> As soon as I said that, I was like, yeah, I like it in every way. I was hurting, but I was also taking that out on myself. Again, I can really see where they're coming from. Even like speaking these words out loud allows me to have sympathy and understanding for them in that situation. It's just so hard to balance that out because of the reality of what I experienced there. It really makes me just want to like cry out in helplessness. I want to like shake them and have them understand what that place felt like, what it felt like every night and every morning and what it felt like to be on the phone with them, begging to come home and not being listened to. I think that is one of the hardest things that I have to come to terms with. It was just like that complete lack of control over my own life and like that complete helplessness from the people I thought were supposed to protect me. I'm sure that there's someone out there that can relate to that sentence. And first of all, I'm so sorry that you can relate. But second of all, we're still kicking. We're still here. As much as it hurts me, I know there are things that I've learned from this and I know they're good things, but there's also maybe some value in saying that like, yeah, that was shitty. I hated that. Not doing that again, not subjecting anyone else to that. And Honestly, it's hard to let go of that feeling of injustice and anger because I don't want it to be okay. I don't want that behavior to become okay. And that's something that I'm slowly trying to undo. It's not nearly as intense of a feeling as it used to be, but it's still, it's still up there. It's still really painful and hard to think about. So a little bit of the story behind how I got there. This is not a fun story to tell and it's not gonna be a fun story to hear. I'm gonna kind of gloss over the details just because I don't think it's something that needs to be 100% put onto you guys, but it might help with a little bit of the understanding. 
And it is my story because I know there are so many people that this happens to. The teen behavioral system is so, so fucked up. It's so uncomfortable that this is a norm and it's not okay in the slightest. I've heard horror stories all the time. You know, you've heard about Paris Hilton, which I went to the same mental hospital as Paris Hilton. I am so lucky that I was only sent to a behavioral unit and not out into like a wilderness camp or anything. Luckily, my parents were seeking for intense therapy and not a complete like revamp of my entire life and personality. But still, the way that it happened was uncomfortable. I had just come home from my cousin's wedding and I was just exhausted all the time at that point. So I'd gotten into bed and I was going to take a nap. I think my cousins were going to in and out and I was like, you know what? I'll join you guys later. I am exhausted. So I got into bed and I was just kind of laying there, kind of scrolling, texting my boyfriend at the time. But when I had gotten downstairs, I saw my mom in my closet packing a bag and my heart sank. I was like, I know we've been talking about this. I know that it's something my parents have been encouraging me to do. I know that they were speaking to my therapist and I just kind of knew that she was packing a bag for the hospital. And I called her out. I was like, mom, what are you doing in my room? And she's like, oh, I'm looking for a pair of jeans that I left in here. And I was like, we do not share clothes. What are you doing? But I just kind of knew. And so I was like texting my boyfriend. I was like, I think that they are going to send me to the hospital. And he was like, you can't like just resist. Like they can't make you. It's going to be okay. Just explain to them the situation. They're going to be understanding. They're not going to make you go. It's going to be okay. Just kind of thing. As I was like kind of in the middle of texting that, I get a knock on my door and my uncle walks into my room and he said, you are going to the mental hospital. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. Needless to say, I chose the hard way because I was like, um, excuse you, sir. I am not going to a mental hospital. It's not happening. Like, get out of my room. Step away. I don't know what you think you're doing here. This is so uncomfortable. This is so weird. Get out. Like, I'm not going. I'm staying here. I don't want to get into detail about how I was transported. It was a little bit of a violent situation. I did not go easily. I definitely resisted. That makes me, like, want to cry. Like, saying that because there's still a part of me that was like, why didn't you fight harder? Why didn't you resist more? Like you went through all this, you could have fought back, you could have ran, you could have called 911, you could have done something to get out of it. You could have stopped this. You should have like kicked them or like fought harder or said something more than you did. I don't know. I did everything that I could think of doing in the time. In the time it was just scary. I didn't know what was going on, but that thought of like, you should have fought harder is one that I really struggle with. I did end up getting into the car willingly. Luckily, I got to the point where I was like, okay, let me go with dignity. Let me get in the car with dignity. So I walked to the car. I was told that I was going to be in the hospital for three days. And that after that, I was going to be able to go home and it was going to be okay. They seemed to make sure I was stable for the next three days. Unfortunately, that is something that they tell the parent to tell the children just to get them in the hospital, quote unquote, consensually or of their own will. The plan was to keep me there for as long as they needed, for as long as they felt I needed. There's a lot that I can go into about how corrupt that specific mental hospital is. And a lot of mental hospitals, a lot of it is just for insurance money. That's what is tough as well, is that my parents had good intentions. The mental hospitals do not always have the best intentions. And that's really hard because they are mental health professionals and I would love for them to have the best intentions for their patients there. Oh, this is really hard. I'm kind of like, I'm about to tap out. This is really difficult. Um. This is really uncomfortable to talk about. I don't know if I can do this. Um, I knew this was gonna be triggering to talk about, but I think that I'm really struggling telling this story. So I'm gonna go ahead and read some of the other things that I have written. And then I'm gonna hop into the positive side of it because I need that right now. I need to feel like I can put the pieces back together. One thing that I kind of wrote down is that I felt like they were hiding me away until I could fix myself. Like I was a child acting out 
and they sent me to timeout until I could figure out how to behave. Now going through the hurt that I was going through, that was painful. I needed a hug, I needed help. But I also needed them to take a step back and trust me to put my pieces back together or allow me to find other support. It felt like they looked at me in disgust and fear and didn't know what to do with me. So they dropped me off for quote unquote intense therapy. So I would no longer be a problem. It doesn't work like that. And that was so painful for me as well. It was just like, hey, go fix yourself and come back when you're all better. I think the hardest part of this entire thing was feeling like a monster or a criminal, especially in the hospital after my attempt. I really just felt like I was looked at as if I was a danger. And that's a really hurtful, scary feeling. And if you've ever felt that feeling, I hope you know that you are not a monster. You are a beautiful human being who's experiencing a lot of hurt. And it's just really confused about where to put that. And that is okay. You are not at fault. In reality, the distance has made it a little bit more clear to me that it was less about them and more about me. They really did care. They genuinely did it for my sake, and I want to believe that. But in the moment, it felt like the people who were supposed to be protecting me, who were supposed to have my best interests in mind, who was supposed to be my rock, was betraying me. It felt like they were sending me to the other side. It felt like everything we had talked about and all the trust we had tried to build was just torn out from underneath me. It felt like I could not even trust the people who were supposed to love me the most. That was really, really hard. Now, all of this has been very gloomy and very hard and very dark. There was more that I planned to say on that, but I don't think that I can. And I don't think that I want to right now. I think I want to make this a little bit more positive and not in a way of like, oh, toxic positivity. You learn from everything. It's gonna be okay. Get out there, go you. That like hurts to say, because it's like, no, that takes away from everything that I experienced in there. It takes away from like that helplessness, like that injustice, the cruelty of what happened. I don't wanna do that. I wanna look at the moments within the hospital that were tender mercies that show me that God is still aware of me. There is still good in the world and I will be okay no matter what I'm going through. And you will be okay no matter what you're going through no matter where you are. So I wrote down a list of little tender mercies, little miracles, little moments of humanity in the behavioral hospital. There was a friend of mine that I had made at a camp and we had gone to the same camp for a few years. She was kind of a family friend at that point. And as I was being admitted to the hospital, which was one of the most dehumanizing experiences. It literally is like being admitted to prison. She showed up the same day as me in the mental hospital and we shared the same room. She was my roommate the entire time I was there. And that thought makes me cry. That is one of the pinnacles. When I question the existence of God or when I think about God, that is one of the pinnacles for me. That shows me that he is so so aware of me that there is still goodness in this world and that does not happen on accident the fact that she was there the exact same day admitted the same day and that we were roommates we weren't allowed to like have physical contact with anyone but the second that i saw her i ran and just gave her the biggest hug the doctors and nurses were kind enough to let us have you know a second or two before we did have to like separate but i think that was a moment of humanity that was a tender mercy and she got me through that Having a friend in there, I'm so lucky and I'm so blessed because there are thousands. Whoa, <laughs> I'm like trying to keep it together. There are thousands of other teenagers and other people in that situation that did not get that, that they didn't have that friend that I did. They didn't have that support. And so I do feel so lucky for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I really didn't expect this to bring up so many emotions. I really don't know if this is all appropriate to share. This is like a lot. Really considering not posting this, but we will see. I don't want this to be a downer for anyone. I don't want this to be 
triggering. I don't want this to be a pity party. I just want this to be a remembrance of the hurt. And maybe there's things that I say that you've never felt understood on or that you've never heard anyone else say that maybe you can feel like, okay, that's normal. Not normal, but like <laughs> someone else feels that. It's okay. I also made good friends with a lot of the girls in there and saw situations much harder than mine. Made me so very grateful for my situation. Obviously my situation was really shitty and it was not fun, but I saw girls in there with situations that were so much harder than mine, with lives that were so much harder than mine that had been in there for months. That just blows my mind. They had been in there subjected to that, experiencing that and that daily routine we were in was just so not it at all. That was not fun. And they'd been doing that for months. Cause in a time like that, it's very easy for me to say, wow, my life sucks. Everything is shitty. But being able to see one place that I'm lucky did change a lot for me. I've gained a lot of insight as to what I'm able to experience and recover from. Obviously it was really difficult, but I survived. It was probably the hardest thing that I've ever been through, but I made it through. I survived and it kind of showed me my resilience, my toughness. I can go through that and come out on the other side. So things that I'm going through, I'm like, well, I've done worse and survived. I think that is one thing that I am grateful to know what I can experience and recover from. It gave me a lot of appreciation for healthcare workers that actually respect what they do, that actually enjoy what they do, and that actually care about their job. There were certain people in there that genuinely cared and it was all the difference. Most of the people in there were just doing their job. They really didn't give a shit. They were tired. They were burned out. They did not care. And it made all the difference when they even put forth a little bit of effort and kindness and extra care and extra tenderness in what they did. Because it was so easy in there to feel like cattle, to feel like I was just a number. I was just a statistic. It felt like in there, I was just something else to be pushed around and guided through locked doors and fed and made sure they didn't hurt themselves. Like it really just felt like I was being processed. So even a little bit of kindness, even a little bit of gentleness meant the world. And the girl who listened, there was a nurse and I will never forget how kind she was to me. <laughs> oh my God. She is such an angel on this earth. We had daily check-ins after we woke up to take our meds to report on how we were feeling mentally, how we were feeling physically, how we slept. And I was trying to tell someone that I do not feel good. I am getting worse. Everything hurts. The beds we're sleeping on suck. My joints ache. I can't sleep. And the sleep meds they do give me makes me feel like a zombie. Everything, I was just like, please, somebody listen to me. I'm not supposed to be here. Everyone I talked to, Put it down on my sheet. Well, she doesn't think she's supposed to be here, which means she needs to be here a little bit longer. And I was like, you don't understand. I need my mom. I need my friends. I need a soft bed. I need kindness. I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I'm in so much pain. Every time I tried to express that, things got a little bit worse. And it was so frustrating. I felt like I was talking to a wall. I felt like I was screaming into nothing. No one would listen and no one would understand. And I just felt hopeless. I felt helpless. Even being on the phone with my parents, I would be like, mom, you don't understand what's going on. This is really, really difficult. This is not helping at all. And I got pulled in the next day that was like, Kayla, you're being manipulative. You need to stop. And like, they would write it down on my charts. And like, it was just so frustrating. I literally felt like I was in a movie. I was like, there is no living way this is happening right now. It was like one of those things where like you talk on the phone and like the next day you're like punished for it. Like, if you tell your parents you want to go home and like the reality of what's happening there, they tell your parents that you're crazy. They tell your parents that you're spinning lies. They tell you that you're manipulative and they make your treatment longer. And like that feeling 
is just so terrifying because there is no way out. And I was like, I need some humanity right now. I need someone to listen. It was a different nurse that we would talk to every day that would give us our meds, that would take our reports. And then we went and got our vitals done. But when I was speaking to the lady that was giving my meds, I tried to explain. I was like, something's wrong. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. I need help in a different way that I'm getting help right now. This is not the help that I need. I do need help and I need therapy and I need help to help me get to where I need to go. But this is not it. After she had gone through everyone, she's like, okay, meet me in the other room. So she took me to the other room and she listened and I poured it all out and I just sobbed. And I was like, this is what's going on. I was scared. The therapy wasn't helping. My psychiatrist was awful. That's a whole other story. It made me feel 1,000 times worse. The doctors didn't give a shit. I was scared. I felt alone. I wanted to go home. I felt helpless and she couldn't do anything for me, but she listened and that made all the difference. I think that was a turning point for me. She just showed me kindness. She just showed me humanity and she couldn't really do anything, but she listened and she believed me and she talked with me and she empathized with me and she was like, okay, I know you can't go back to your room and sleep right now, but it looks like you do need a little bit of rest. So stay in here, lay on one of the benches, you can nap. And that was just like, thank you. It was just like a deep breath. It was like, I can get through this, I can do this. I just needed kindness. I just needed understanding. And that has given me so much compassion for people. Made me want to be the person that people can go to and feel a little bit of calmness. Be the one place in their lives that doesn't hurt. Be the one place in their life where they could take a deep breath. And even though nothing was done from that situation, she wasn't dismissive. And she didn't make me feel like I was insane. She made me feel heard. She made me feel listened to. And she made me feel just a little bit safe in that moment. It was a little bit of humanity that I will forever appreciate. I need to have a good cry after this. That's for sure. Now, another really great thing that happened while I was in there is I had the idea to start Shop Simcoe. And this is really where the idea for the current loungewear line comes in. That's why this loungewear line is so important and so dear to my heart. When I was in the hospital, I was allowed very, very little amount of clothes. But to me, clothes are expression. Fashion is expression. So the items that I did choose to bring because I ended up repacking my bag after my mom had packed it, the items that I did choose to bring had a lot of importance and significance to me and made me feel like me. And they were items that I felt comfortable wearing. I felt cute wearing. I felt individual in because in there, you really don't feel like an individual. The clothes that I wore were like the closest thing that I got to individuality and freedom. One of the items that I brought were my cheer sweats that said Simcoe on the leg. And I liked that because it kept me... Simcoe, like I was Bethany Simcoe. I was like, okay, this is who I am and they're comfortable. And like, this is just a good staple piece to have in here. So I wore those a lot while I was in there. I think the first day that I wore them, I was like walking into the group therapy room and I sat down on one of the benches and a girl looked over and she's like, I like your sweats. What brand are those? And I was like, oh, like Simcoe is just my last name. And it gave me the idea. Shop Simcoe or like Simcoe as a clothing brand is a really damn good idea. That's really cool. And Shops Co. really did start around the idea that style is expression. It's freedom. It's who you are. It keeps you unique. It keeps you yourself. So on the leg of the sweats for the loungewear line that I'm doing, it has 555 in the same place that the Simcoe was put. We put 555 because that's a number that I see a lot. It's a number that I, I feel like it's not technically a true angel number, but it's a number that I see very frequently and it's a number that means a lot to me. Oh, that 555 is just kind of like a representation. It's kind of like an ode to the Simcoe on the leg of the sweats that I wore, which I think is so so cool. From that, I did start a clothing brand. And I think that that is a win. And it showed that my spirit will not be tainted. I cannot be taken down. And that's like so important to know that like you cannot be taken down. You are resilient. You are going to be okay. 
you're gonna keep going even if things are really tough right now. One thing that really does fill me with joy though is looking back at my journal entries and realizing those feelings are kind of distant now. They're almost foreign to me. Like, yes, I know what they feel like and I see the descriptions and I kind of remember, but they're not always weighing on my heart. They were something that was so present in my heart constantly. I would write, my heart is heavy. My heart is full of rage. My heart hurts. Those were some of my most common journal entries or like, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep going. I'm tired. Those were some of my most common journal entries. And now I don't feel like that all the time. That's not what's present on my heart. My heart isn't constantly heavy. There are still very hard times in my life, but my heart feels like it is coming to a place of rest. My heart is learning what rest feels like. My heart is learning what calm feels like, and it's becoming used to that. And it's not, okay, I just have to keep going until I have a good day. It's most of my days are good, and sometimes I have bad ones. That is so beautiful. It was a very slow transition, but looking back, it does get easier. It does get better and it does become okay. And I'm sure there's going to be so many hard things that I still have yet to go through. And when people say, it's not always hard, like you'll look back, days get better. Hold on. I'm like, that's bullshit. I feel so awful right now. I keep holding on. Things keep getting harder and things did keep getting harder until the day I moved out. And then they got harder, but it's not always like that. My heart is becoming peaceful. My heart is becoming restful. And I'm learning how to make that own safe space for myself. So it fills me with joy that even though I've gone through things that I would never wish on someone, that I would never want to put on my heart or on someone else's heart, I did it. I survived and now I look back and I go, wow, I'm doing so much better. I feel so much better. And I can still relate with those feelings in a way. It's not my constant state anymore. It's not my baseline. I feel like there was a lot more that I wanted to say. And I feel like there's a lot to say. But honestly, talking about this is a little bit exhausting. I don't think that I am healed from this in the way that I would like to be. I think there's still a lot of hurt and a lot of fear about what happened. And there's still a lot of anger towards my parents towards my uncle and his shitty apology email. And there's just, there's so much that I don't know if I can get past in this moment. And that is okay. I'm working on it and it's going to be okay. And it's not always in the forefront of my mind anymore. I am getting further from it and my heart is able to understand a little bit more and more every day. And I hope to come back to this episode in a year or two or in a few months and say, you know what? Here's what I've learned since then. But right now it's very heavy on my heart. And March 17th will always be branded into my mind the day that I went into the mental hospital. I do sincerely hope that this episode was not deep, dark, and dreary. I hope that it was not too uncomfortable. I hope it was just uncomfortable enough. I don't know. I know this episode alone is not going to spark change in the troubled teen or the behavioral or like the mental health industry, but I hope that it does spark something in someone to kind of do a little bit more research or kind of understand a little bit more about like the actual pain and the trauma and hurt that this can cause someone before subjecting another human being to that. I think that's something I'm very passionate about, but I do hope that maybe there was something in here that you were able to relate with or that was able to give you a little bit of insight or hope. Maybe it can encourage you to go away from this recording the moments of humanity that you see and encourage you to be the humanity that someone might need in their day or the little tender mercy or the little miracle because they are everywhere, even in the hardest of times. And that's something I need to remember as well, is to be the humanity in someone's day and to look for it and to look for the love and the light, even when it doesn't seem like it's there at all. This was a really tough episode to talk about. I thought I was a little bit more prepared to talk about it. Maybe I will share a little bit more later. I want to end with this. If you have ever been to a mental hospital, 
a behavioral unit or ban it to like a troubled teen location, that you are okay. The stigma around it is something that's uncomfortable, but you are okay. You are so human. You are so capable of healing and grow. Even if you haven't been to those, but you feel like you struggle with mental health and you feel these feelings, like people are scared of you, that you are scared of you, it's okay. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of fear and that's okay. You will be okay. And I don't know if I said that the way that I wanted to say it, but I hope that you can end with a little bit of peace in your heart, a little bit of understanding in your heart that you can BS some strength and keep going. So that has been today's episode of BS with Bethany Simcoe. I wish you all a wonderful week and try to be the humanity in someone's day.